Welcome to the conversation at airsafe.com. I'm your host, Dr. Todd Curtis. This episode features an interview I had on the Calgary Today show on CHQR Radio of Calgary, Canada, with host Whitney Dean. We discussed a number of issues related to the Christmas Day bombing attempt on Northwest Flight 253, including Nigerian airline security, her view of U.S. terrorist databases, and the technologies and procedures that are currently used to prevent airliner bombing attempts. There has been a lot of talk, of course, about this attempted bombing and the lineups are starting to ease up after the lines over the weekend, after the alleged attempted bombing of Northwest Airlines Flight 253 from Amsterdam to Nigeria. 23-year-old suspect Umar Farouk Abdu-Mutalib was charged with trying to detonate a bomb on a plane on Christmas Day. He got on the plane in Nigeria, then flew to Amsterdam and then to Detroit. During that last hour of the flight as they were coming into Detroit, he complained he was feeling sick. He went to the washroom, came back, pulled a blanket over his head, and that's when witnesses say they started hearing sounds like a firecracker and smoke and passengers jumped up to take him down. Now, that sparked all sorts of security headaches for everyone. No carry-on baggage or very small items are now allowed, maybe a purse, diaper bag, or a laptop. Pat-downs before you get on the plane at the departure gate, not being allowed to get up for the last hour of the flight, not being able to use electronic devices or have have satellite TV, and pilots not being able to point out U.S. landmarks when they're flying over them. Now, some of the restrictions have been lifted, such as being allowed to get up during the last hour of the flight and the ban on telephones and live TV. But all of this, it begs the question, can we really stop terrorists who target airplanes? And every time they do it, it seems like it's us. We're the ones who suffer. Joining us on the line to talk about airline security is Dr. Todd Cur- Curtis. He's founder of airsafe.com. Good afternoon, Dr. Curtis. Oh, good afternoon. Thanks for having me. So, I mean, the basic question is, can we make airlines, airplanes, airports, can we make all of this safe from terrorists? Is it possible? Well, it's possible to reduce the risk and eliminate many of them. I think it's uh, impossible, though, to eliminate every risk because human beings are very creative people, and no matter what protections are out there, if there's someone who's very dedicated to do harm to an airplane or to the people on board, they will figure out a way. Yeah. Well, and this guy figured out a way by, allegedly, this is all allegedly, of course, uh, putting it in his underwear and then having a syringe with with acid. How does that make it through the security that we have now after 9-11, after the uh, shoe bombing that was earlier? How does it make it through the security checkpoints? Well, there are several layers of security, both at the airport and even before even buys a ticket. And what happened in this case is that not every bomb detection technology that was available was used, nor is it always used with every passenger. There was no suspicion that this person had bomb-making materials, no suspicion that he was on some sort of watch list. So the kind of secondary screening that sometimes happens didn't happen with this person. So what kind of technology is available that wasn't used in this case? I guess for a secondary screening, what uh, are those higher measures that are used for screening? Well, there are two, actually. There's a full-body scanning system, which is used sporadically in the States and was actually employed at four different international airports in Nigeria. The U.S. uh, donated four of these machines to Nigeria back in 2008, and they were installed. Uh, Also, there's a second test, uh, essentially a swiping of the surfaces of a bag or a computer or what have you to find traces of explosive material. Mm -hmm. Now, in both cases, these are not tested or used with every person. 
and in the States at least, the full body scanner is only in the test and evaluation mode for the most part. It's not normally used even today. However, the swab test, the test for explosive residue, that's very common, and every airport in, in the U.S. has a capability to do this test if need be. Wow. Is it normal that is ugh, what is the track record for Nigeria's security for airlines and airports? Well, Nigeria's record when it comes to aviation up to now has been most noteworthy for safety issues rather than security issues. Uh, that is, there have been, um, over the years, over the last 20 years or so, both cargo and passenger aircraft have been involved in some fairly uh, horrific uh, crashes in Nigeria. And their internal, that is, their domestic aviation system, isn't up to the same level as the U.S. and Canada when it comes to government oversight requirements for maintenance, that sort of thing. So they've been under intense scrutiny for years for that. But as far as security, uh, they have not really been on the radar before now. So will this put them on the radar then? It's, it's hard to say because there are very few, if any, regularly scheduled flights between North America and Nigeria. Yeah. So most of the traffic that's going to happen, virtually all of the traffic will be through third parties, through third airports. So the security that is in place, for example, at Schiphol in Amsterdam, uh, there will be probably an increased focus at international ports of entry like that, but not necessarily anything directed at Nigeria. Is it common practice for a flight from Nigeria where these security screens aren't so great and they get into Amsterdam? Is there a second screening that goes on of those passengers? Well, it depends on the flight. It depends on the situation. But Amsterdam, in general, has fairly high security requirements. And when it comes to aircraft coming to the U.S., just like with uh, any aircraft coming from Canada, any passenger has to pass muster with the various uh, watch lists that the TSA has. Even though they may, there may not be U.S. government employees handling the security, they do have to adhere to the rules that the U.S. has. Yeah, because they are entering U.S. airspace. Now, there was talk of that he was on the terrorist identities data mart. Um, so that's not the no-fly list, and this is the UN list. What's the difference between the terrorist identities data mart and then the no-fly list? Well, uh, the number of lists that are out there seems to be uh, growing by the day, but there are four main databases used by the U.S. government when it comes to keeping track of terrorists or suspected terrorists. Mm -hmm. There's the uh, TIDE list, the uh, data mart list you just mentioned, which has about half a million individuals plus their aliases. Uh, maybe 50,000 aliases on top of the half million individuals. Wow. Which is the most general list. It is a compilation of lists that used to be separately kept by various departments of the U.S. government prior to 9-11, but they've been consolidated since then. There is another list which is somewhat refined from that first list that goes down to about 400,000. Again, these are folks where there's a little bit more information about them. They're under a bit more scrutiny, not necessarily banned from flying. The two most important lists for the TSA is something called the selectee list, which has about 14,000 people currently. And anyone on that list isn't barred from flying, but they will be pulled aside for either separate screening, more questioning, etc. every time they get on an airplane. Yeah. And then at the very top of that is a 4,000-person list, which is the no-fly list. Uh, some, anyone on that list obviously can't get on an airplane. And those lists are sort of a hierarchy in that the selectee list and the no-fly list come out of that half million list that the alleged bomber was on. How 
much evidence do you need to get on the, the selectee list and the no-fly list? Because his father, the stories are coming out, had gone to the U.S. Embassy saying that his son had become extremist, he was concerned, had sat down with them, the U.S. Embassy in Nigeria, and he wasn't, his visa wasn't revoked, and he wasn't put on any no-fly list. How much evidence do you need before you're put on one of those lists? Well, you bring up a couple of issues there. Uh, you mentioned his visa wasn't revoked. That's a separate process entirely, and it's not clear what relationship these lists have to whether or not a visa is revoked or not granted to a person. Because that's more an immigration issue. That, that may be an immigration issue. That may be a State Department issue. It's not in exactly clear where the Department of Homeland Security uh, is involved in that process. The second one, how much does it uh, take to get on the selectee list and the no-fly list? It's been a standard practice in the U.S. that the reasons that people get on or off the list are not made public. And even if you make a request to get your name off the list, they're not going to tell you why your name got on the list in the first place. So one would hope that there are logical, systematic procedures for putting people on and off the list. But what those procedures are haven't been made public. Yeah. Now I'm on the line with Dr. Todd Curtis, and uh, he is the founder of airsafe.com, and they provide online information about aviation security. We're talking about the attempted... The alleged attempted bombing of the flight that came into Detroit on Christmas Day, and that's caused havoc at airports because of the extensive security that's been brought on, and that's included, you know, carry-on baggage, not being able to get up for the last hour of the flight. Some of the rules, it seems like uh, things are fluid right now, that things seem to be changing. It'll be interesting to see what will stick uh, after this latest incident of uh, attempted terrorism over U.S. airspace. I'm Whitney Dean, guest hosting on Calgary Today for Mike Blanchard. We'll be back after the break. We've been talking about airline security, and the last time this happened was when someone tried to set up, uh, set off an explosive out of their shoe while they were on an airplane, and that caused all sorts of havoc, which meant in a lot of U.S. airports, you still have to take off your shoes but when you're going through the security screening, and it kind of says, you know what I mean, when we have all these new rules about the carry-on baggage as well as the no electronics, what rules are going to stick. On the line, we have Dr. Todd Curtis. He is the founder of airsafe.com. He provides online information about aviation security. Dr. Curtis, do you think some of these rules will, will stick or is this just for now? I think the rules that are most likely to disappear fairly quickly are the in-cabin rules, the rules about not going to the bathroom, etc. I think that, and this is my opinion, that in the short term, these are steps that are aimed at finding or stopping copycats who might be trying to do this on the spur of the moment, or to stop any possible conspiracy that may be happening. That is, there may be four or five of these people around the world right now trying to do this in the same short time period. Uh, the, the measures that are in place are effective against those sorts of situations, but long term, I don't see those things happening. Now, behind the scenes, for example, the kinds of detection technologies that are used, an enhancement to the databases that are out there, an enhancement to the procedures used to qualify people for these databases. I see that as a more long-term change. Yeah. And we're going to take a couple phone calls. The phone lines are open, 403-974-8255. That's 974-TALK. Dan, you have a question for our guest. Hey, Whitney, how you doing? Good. Um, I, I just think the whole thing is nonsense. It's a joke. Uh, we're, it's, the, it's the same old punish all the good people 
because the bad people keep getting through because the good people aren't doing their jobs properly. I mean, a lot of it is very, very simple. Look at a country like Nigeria. The whole government and the whole, you know, whatever kind of system you want to call it is corrupt from, from top to bottom. So yeah. something like this happens, you eliminate the whole thing by saying, okay, you know what? We're not going to accept flights from Nigeria, period. We don't want any of the nonsense and the crap, and why should our people suffer because of it? I mean, you do open up a lot of problems about people that are already here and they want to visit family and that, but why should we all suffer? Thanks very much for the comments, Dan. I appreciate it. Yep, thanks. Thanks. Todd, though, Dr. Curtis, is it feasible, though, to just say, okay, Nigeria was, the person was from Nigeria, so let's cut off all flights from Nigeria? Well, that's a uh, maybe a moot point because currently there may be very few, if any, flights uh, between Nigeria and North America. I can't speak uh, for Canada, but I'm not familiar with any direct flights of Nigerian airlines between Nigeria and the U.S. So that may not be an issue here. But more generally, you might say to yourself, well, well gosh, this person was from Nigeria. Perhaps we should ban all Nigerians from travel. Uh, that's not going to be very practical because not necessarily everyone who is Nigerian is going to have a Nigerian passport. I'm sure in, uh, in Canada, as the case in the U.S., there's a fairly substantial community of Canadian Nigerians uh, with Canadian passports. And it simply would not be right on many levels to say, well, if you have any connection with Nigeria, even if you were never born there but have a parent from there, you're now a suspect. Well, and there's some similar calls for... I want to say racial profiling or even religious profiling for Muslims who are flying? Well, uh, the same sort of issue is here that, that is implied by the caller about Nigeria. You may point to certain parts of the world, certain countries, certain religion as having, religions as having certain problems, and therefore we should ban those people. But as is the case with a lot of other things, there are a lot of decent people in every religion, every country. Um, North America has had its share, for example, of serial killers and more so than many other parts of the world. Yet, I don't see anyone calling for a ban on travel by U.S. and Canadian citizens because some of their citizens decide to kill multiple people for no reason. Yeah. Are there enough policies at airports already to keep us safe? Do we need these extra measures? That's not clear, because from what has come out so far from government sources and from the media, there seem to have been a lot of procedures and techniques in place that could have prevented this person from getting on the airplane. And not the least of which is, if you have someone who has no luggage, is paying in cash for a one-way ticket, uh, one doesn't have to be Sherlock Holmes to think that, well, maybe this person should be subject to additional questioning before they get on the airplane. This is what this alleged accused bomber did, yet no one pulled him aside for additional questioning. No one pulled him aside for additional screening. So we have the capability to find out when someone might be acting suspiciously by what they do. Or in this case, if a family member says, he has been acting suspiciously, please check him out. Yet nothing was done. So I don't believe it's a question of new procedures, but doing better with the procedures we have. Right. Well, thanks very much, Dr. Curtis. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks, Dr. Todd Curtis. He's founder for airsafe.com. You can go on there and you can find information regarding aviation security. And that's just it. I think there needs to be an investigation into what went wrong. If, as Dr. Dr. Curtis was saying, that the procedures in place weren't gone through and done, maybe we got a little lazy after 9-11. It's been quite a while and we weren't checking on everything. So, you know, 
if we didn't use the procedures we already have in place, then let's just go back to doing those procedures rather than inconveniencing everyone else with more procedures. The investigation into this recent attempted bombing is still ongoing. For more information, please visit airsafe.com and airsafenews.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.